Section twelve of The Life of Mozart, Volume One by Otto Jahn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Mozart by Otto Jahn, Section twelve, Chapter four, Part three the skilful modelling of a composition from its purely musical aspect is as important to true artistic workmanship as is the vivid delineation of individual character only a consummate master of his art can be expected to bring both these elements to perfection the first predominates in these finales the design and modelling of each subject is firm and flowing the voices are not artificially involved but free and independent throughout the orchestra is cleverly handled and treated with due consideration whether it comes to the front or remains as an accompaniment in the background the instrumentation is rich and even where the rapid progress of the action causes difficulties it is full of effects of light and shade the wind instruments are frequently employed independently and there is already visible the germ of mozart's inimitable art of combining orchestra and voices with mutual independence into perfect unity the situations and characters are fitly and dramatically expressed by the orchestra though not in so striking a degree as in the airs creative power is not so dominant here as the dexterity with which the various parts are moulded together even with his extraordinary gifts such a mere boy could not satisfy in an equal degree the very great and varied demands made upon him face to face with such a task as this the only wonder is that mozart did not yield to the temptation of producing brilliant effects at the cost of artistic unity these finales make a perfectly harmonious effect and wanting as they are in depth and vigour preserve throughout the genuine character of an opera buffa the last movement of each finale is for four voices and is sung by all the personages present a similar movement opens the opera they are very simple the voices in harmony to a varied figure on the violins generally only a sort of paraphrase of the principal subject the other instruments fill in the harmonics so that the whole has a rapid busy effect the overture sinfonia is according to established custom in three movements the first two being in two divisions it is a symphony composed previously on january sixteen forty five köchel and prefixed to the opera with the omission of the minuet there are a few minor alterations chiefly in the instrumentation the symphony had originally trumpets and drums which were omitted in the overture while flutes and bassoons were added this is unquestionably the weakest part of the opera and the middle movement is especially poor but little importance was then attached to the overture and it is not worse than others of its day to sum up our criticism the opera was a worthy rival to those already in possession of the stage and portions of it may fairly be said to surpass them in nobility and originality both of invention and execution while it points unmistakably to a glorious future for its composer surely this is extraordinary praise for the work of a boy 
the manuscript's score is clearly a fair copy but not without corrections some of these are of mistakes in the copying others although seldom are alterations probably demanded by the performers either curtailments or additions the additions are for the most part to the closing phrases which mozart as a rule cut very short the singers mindful of a good exit demanded their prolongation the hand of leopold mozart is discernible throughout the indications of the tempo of the persons instruments etc the minute directions as to execution are almost all in his handwriting there are also some indications of his having revised the composition in unimportant trifles but this score being a copy can offer no evidence as to the influence of leopold mozart's advice and correction on the compositions of his son we can well understand that at the time this influence was thought to be overpowering now that wolfgang's career and development lie open before us we rate it at next to nothing although leopold mozart was denied the satisfaction of witnessing the public recognition of his son's genius by the performance of this opera yet a good opportunity was afforded him of asserting his dramatic talent before a small circle of connoisseurs the mozarts became acquainted with a dr mesmer who had married a rich wife and who kept open house for a select and cultivated circle Heufeld was among the number of his friends. Dr. Mesmer was musical, and had built an amateur theatre. There was performed a little German opera composed by Wolfgang with the title Bastien and Bastienne. 50 Köchel We must here revert to J. J. Rousseau's intermezzo Les Devins du Village, the origin of which he describes in the eighth book of his Confessions the pleasure which he had derived during his stay in italy from the performances of the opera buffa was revived in seventeen fifty two at passy where he encountered a zealous musical friend musard who shared the same tastes this suggested to rousseau the idea of placing something of the same kind on the french stage in a few days the plan of the piece the text and some of the music were sketched out and within six weeks the poem and composition were complete at a private rehearsal which duclos arranged the operetta made a great sensation and attracted the attention of the manager des menus plaisirs de curie who ordered and directed a performance of it at court it was twice on october eighteen and twenty four seventeen fifty two performed before the king at fontainebleau mademoiselle fell and gelouat singing colette and colin with great applause then it was given publicly in paris before the academie royale de musique on march first seventeen fifty three and met with great and universal approbation from the king who with the worst voice in his whole kingdom sang j'ai perdu mon serviteur downwards the couplets of the opera were in every one's mouth and it became popular to a remarkable degree in seventeen seventy four it received almost as much applause as gluck's orpheus and even in eighteen nineteen and eighteen twenty one german musicians were astonished at its popularity it did not finally disappear from the stage until eighteen twenty eight the plot could not be simpler Colette, a village maiden, is inconsolable for her faithless swain, 
Colin, and goes to a soothsayer for advice and assistance. He informs her that the lady of the manor has entangled Colin in her toils, but that he is still faithful at heart, and will return to his first love. She must punish him by pretended indifference, so as to inflame his desires afresh. This she promises. Colin then enters. He is healed of his madness and returns to his Colette. On being informed by the soothsayer that she loves another, he, too, begs for help, and the soothsayer undertakes to summon Colette by magic, but Colin must himself do the rest. Colette appears and somewhat unsuccessfully plays the prude. Her lover thereupon rushes off in despair. She calls him back, and then follow reconciliation and renewed assurance of love and consistency. The soothsayer receives thanks and reward, and the assembled villagers take part in the joy of the lovers. The simplicity and naive sentiments which atone for the poverty of the plot are also characteristic of the music. A certain inequality in technical details, and here and there gross errors, betray the amateur, but there is a natural feeling in the melodies, and a playful tenderness in the whole composition, which must have had an extraordinary effect at the time of its production. Rousseau, who aimed at unity of tone before all things in this little sketch, was not satisfied with furnishing the couplets with easy-flowing melodies, but bestowed great care on the recitatives, which, in imitation of the Italian, were intended to be pieces of artistic and studied declamation. The minute care with which he indicated the smallest detail in the delivery of his recitatives is almost incredible. It is plain that he gave credit to the performers for no musical feeling or power of expression whatever. Rousseau's opera coincided in point of time with the first appearance of Italian opera buffa in Paris, and though he had avowedly taken this as his model, comparison serves only to prove the complete originality of his work. It bore unmistakable traces of its nationality, and was French in feeling and tone. The abiding impression created by it is best shown by the innumerable operas of the same kind with followed closely in its rear, such as Rose et Cola, Annette Lubin, La Clochette. The Comédie Italienne ratified the success of the Devant du Village in yet another way. According to custom, by which every piece of any importance was parodied as soon as it appeared on the stage, a parody of Rousseau's Intermezzo appeared at the Italien, September 26, 1753, with the title Les Amours de Bastien et Bastienne. It was composed by the witty and agreeable Madame Favard and Hamy, and, without attempting to disparage the original, it transforms the Arcadian idealism of Rousseau's shepherds into the unromantic realism of country life. Genuine French peasants express appropriate sentiments in their patois, and the whole piece is rustic and natural. The dialogue is strung together by well-known melodies, as was always the case in vaudeville. The piece was highly applauded, owing its success in great measure to the lively and natural acting of Madame Favard. She was the first actress who ventured to appear in the genuine simple costume of a peasant woman, and her appearance in sabots created a great sensation. 
her portrait was painted in this character and it had much to do in laying the foundation of her fame the parody was elaborated into a german operetta in vienna low comedy had never entirely renounced the aid of music haydn composed his operetta der neue krumme teufel for kurz bermando when the more refined comic opera was introduced by hiller it was accepted and imitated in vienna in seventeen sixty four weiskem translated madame favart's parody with some slight alterations and to this text mozart composed the music the piece is a continuous dialogue interrupted by isolated songs and duets at appointed places these consisting of eleven solo songs three duets and one tertiate do not always correspond to those of rousseau's opera which was unknown to the adapter many songs have several verses of which mozart has only transcribed the first the french parody has been most unskilfully travestied as will be seen by a comparison of the first songs in its various forms rousseau j'ai perdu tout mon bonheur j'ai perdu mon serviteur colin me délaisse et là il a pu changer je voudrais ne plus songer j'y songe sans cesse madame favart er j'ai perdu mon âne j'en perdu mon ami depuis ce temps-là je n'en point dormi je n'en vivant plus qu'à d'amis je n'en perdu mon ami je n'en ai le cœur tout transi je meurs de souci weiskern mein liebster freund hat mich verlassen mit ihm ist schlaf und ruh dahin ich weiß vor leid mich nicht zu fassen der kummer schwächt mir aug und sinn vor gram und schmerz erstarrt das herz und diese not bringt mir den tod the verses are equally tame and clumsy all the way through and even taking into account the prevailing low standard of cultivation and taste it is difficult to believe that this operetta could have been produced at a private house of any importance mozart has given his music a strictly pastoral character indicated wherever possible by its outward form the orchestral introduction intrada an allegro of about seventy bars begins with a pastoral theme interrupted by quick passages for oboes and horns plainly intended to express a disturbance of the peaceful shepherd's life this passes into a tender pianissimo prefiguring bastien's song holmes remarks that the subject reminds one of beethoven's sinfonia eroica and still more so as the overture proceeds but no one it is to be hoped would think of an actual reminiscence both the melody and its accompaniment particularly the holding down of the bass note or the fifth often of both are meant to suggest bagpipes only the stringed instruments are employed and a curious effect is produced by the first violins given the fundamental note to the melody on the open string of g or d the bagpipes are imitated again in a little passage with which collat enters 
playing the bagpipes. In this passage, Mozart has jokingly introduced a G-sharp to imitate the sound between G and G-sharp, which wind instruments sometimes emit when unskillfully handled. All these little tricks had already been brought in to his Gallimathias. Comparing this operetta with the Finta Semplice, we find that the former is as distinctively German in execution and coloring as the latter is Italian. What amount of direct influence Hiller's operas had upon Bastien and Bastienne, and others in Mendelssohn's Midsummer Night's Dream, it is difficult to say, but there can be no doubt that the intention of both composers was the same. Simplicity and directness of expression being essential, the songs are destitute both of runs and florid passages, and the fashioning of the melodies is decidedly German, generally taking the ballad form. Where a more elaborate working is attempted, we may indeed trace Italian influence, but the style is invariably simplified. The conventional form of the aria in two parts, with the repetition of the first or both, and the usual variations, is not adhered to, and when an aria consists of two parts, it has no da capo. So, too, the cadence, which has become almost a rule in Italian songs, is employed only once or twice. The whole composition displays little inventive faculty, and there are no pieces of the same significance as some of those in the Italian opera. Here and there is a slight uncertainty of rhythm or harmony, and occasionally also obsolete turns of expression. On the other hand, there are not wanting passages full of grace and tenderness. The harmony is often well chosen and even bold, and the operetta is so far Mozart's best expression of simple sentiment coming direct from the heart. His dramatic talent again asserts itself unmistakably. The three characters are boldly sketched, and many little comic touches are thrown into relief, as, for instance, the song in which Collat practices hocus-pocus, the duet in which Bastienne to all Bastien's despairing resolutions answers only viel Glück, and others. The technical working out is very simple. Neither in the duets nor in the closing terzet are the voices interwoven, but they alternate with each other or proceed together in simple harmony. Only in one instance does there occur a short imitative passage. The orchestra usually goes with the voice to which a simple, well-arranged bass is provided, the other parts filling in the harmonies. An accompaniment with any independent phrasing is rarely met with. The accompaniment is mainly entrusted to the stringed instruments, strengthened by oboes, on one occasion by two flutes, and horns, but only to fill in the harmonies. Horns are also employed obligato, and with charming effect in Bastien's second song, Ich gehe jetzt auf die Weide. 
it says much for the artistic feeling and true discrimination of a boy of twelve years old that he not only displays a mastery of operatic form and a rare dramatic and inventive genius but that he is able to grasp and appreciate the essential differences both artistic and national between german and italian opera it is noteworthy that his first dramatic attempts should so to speak touch the two extremes which it was to be his mission to bring together one song of bastian's with slightly altered words and clavier accompaniment daphne deine rosenwangen and another freude königin der weisen fifty two fifty three köchel were printed in a musical serial the editor no doubt thinking to make his profit with the name of the youthful prodigy among the occasional compositions which were numerous during mozart's stay in vienna two symphonies must be mentioned the first in f major forty three köchel falling within the year seventeen sixty seven is only noticeable for its middle movement which is an elaboration of the duet in hyacinthus already mentioned the second in d major dated december thirteenth seventeen sixty eight forty eight köchel is very animated and has some striking features considerable doubt still exists on the subject of a quintet in b flat major forty six köchel which according to köchel's unimpeachable authority is preserved in mozart's boyish handwriting in the archives of the austrian musikverein it has many corrections and the date appended in a strange hand certainly but coinciding with the composition is den fünfundzwanzigsten januar mozart writes jena seventeen sixty eight this quintet for two violins two tenors and violoncello contains the four principal movements omitting the second minuet the romance and the variations of the great serenade for wind instruments belonging to the year seventeen eighty three hundred sixty one köchel the substance is here in its integrity with only the necessary alterations to adapt it for strings close examination leaves hardly any doubt that the composition was originally intended for wind instruments finer effects are produced in the serenade and are obviously not interpolated the quintet betrays itself as an arrangement by evident efforts to bring out given effects accordingly the serenade must be considered also as a very early work and the omission of the three movements in the quintet affords no reason for ascribing them to a different period nevertheless the conception and workmanship of these movements and the scientific mastery of the art therein displayed belong to the maturity of manhood and make it difficult to give credence to the handwriting of the manuscript rather than to this internal evidence leopold mozart's hope of seeing an opera by wolfgang on the vienna stage was as we have seen destroyed but he was not altogether deprived of the satisfaction to be afforded him by a public display of his son's genius they had become acquainted with the celebrated father ignaz parhammer a jesuit who had been especially zealous in purifying the land since the emigration of the protestants from salzburg in seventeen thirty three he took a prominent position in vienna and became father confessor to the emperor francis i in seventeen fifty eight 
in the following year he was made director of the orphan asylum which he extended and reorganized with remarkable activity making it at length one of the most noted of such institutions in all similar institutions conducted by the jesuits in germany the musical education of the orphans was considered next in importance to their religious duties and in this case the result was so striking that the emperor intended employing them in his operatic company parhammer sometimes invited the mozarts and when the foundation stone of a new chapel was laid in the summer they were present and met the emperor who conversed with wolfgang about his opera soon after he was commissioned to prepare the music for the mass to celebrate the dedication of the chapel with the addition of an offertory and a trumpet concerto to be performed by one of the boys the latter is not preserved the mass in g major forty nine köchel the first which mozart had written betrays as might be expected the uncertainty of boyish workmanship more than any previous work it is written for chorus and solos which do not merely alternate with the chorus in short phrases et in spiritum sanctum is an independent solo for the bass benedictus a solo quartet the plan modelling and execution of the music are quite of the conventional type of a missa brevis it is almost devoid of original invention and bears no signs of those stirrings of genius which we have remarked in previous works this want has not been without influence on the working out of the music the imitative phrasing is stiffer and less free than elsewhere only the little regulation fugue et vitam shows the result of study and the impetuous osanna is vigorous and well finished the offertory veni sancte spiritus forty seven köchel in c major is lively and brilliant with trumpets and drums the closing alleluia is almost too gay but it is pretty and fresh reminding one of caldara's easier pieces the performance which wolfgang conducted took place on december seventh seventeen sixty eight in the presence of the imperial court and confirmed as the father writes home that which their enemies by opposition to the opera had sought to disprove convincing the court and the numerous audience assembled of wolfgang's right to a place of honour among composers the following is the testimony of a contemporary journal on wednesday the seventh his imperial majesty with the archdukes ferdinand and maximilian and the archduchesses maria elisabeth and maria amelia were pleased to repair to the orphan asylum on the rennweg in order to be present at the first festival service and dedication of the newly erected chapel on either side of the entrance to the chapel were stationed the companies of bodyguards with their bands the royal party were received by his eminence the cardinal archbishop of this place with his attendant clergy 
amid the flourish of trumpets and drums and the discharge of guns and cannons the service of the dedication was conducted by his eminence and the mass by the suffragan bishop marxa with repeated discharge of firearms the entire music sung by the choir of orphans was composed for the occasion by wolfgang mozart son of dr leopold mozart kapellmeister at salzburg a boy of twelve years of age well known for his extraordinary talent it was conducted by the composer with the utmost precision and accuracy and was received with universal applause and admiration end of section twelve